Welcome to Rock Talk and Two Joking Millennials. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that one's going to stick. Two Joking Millennials. Two Joking Millennials. Is that what we are? Yeah. I needed I... something that rhymed with two smoking barrels. And, I mean, that is a, a perfect rhyme. Wait, I don't get it. That Guy Ritchie movie from the late 90s, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Oh, yes. <laughs> you, you, you weren't into that one? Oh, and I, I love it. It's... Yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I've never heard of it. Yeah, you might have had to have been a dude. Mm. It was definitely part of the dude canon. Okay. Like the post Tarantino, like uh, quips and guns and a cool soundtrack, but in Britain this time. Sounds really cool. Yeah, it was cool at the time. That's why I adopted the name for our podcast because our podcast is also really cool. Yeah. I mean, how many music podcasts begin with a Guy Ritchie reference from like 25 years ago? I don't know how accurate it is, though, because you said we're two joking millennials and I'm dead serious. Okay. (laughs) Oops. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So so it's one joking millennial, one serious millennial. We're Jack and Emily, everybody, and we've come to to entertain you. We really need to get a a name for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Oh, hey, well. I'm trying, god damn it. I'm out here. I'm giving it my all every week. Yeah. Just like Mariah Carey giving her all. Is that a Mariah Carey song? Yeah, I thought you were a biggest fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do what you did just now. It was such a cool a yeah. cool way to deal with that situation. All <laughs> right. Yeah. This episode is going to be wild and free. Wild and free. This is our yeah. what, 11th episode? It is, in fact. And um we've we've started a slack, I guess, cuz you don't have a theme this time. Yep. But we're yep. like, you know, we don't need a theme. Every day we just talk about music off the air and we're like, what if we just do that on the air? Let's see what yep. happens. We'll just hit the record button on our daily life. And uh, magic will occur. <laughs> Always does. So here we are. Yeah. Any uh, big big news stories in the music world? Well, Burt Bacharach is dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's so funny about that. I'm sorry. I couldn't keep it together. It's not funny. You're, you're going to hell. It's not. I am. It's not funny. It's a tragedy. Burt Bacharach, obviously one of the legends. I just thought... You know, just before we started recording, we thought it would be uh, it would be awkward to uh, <laughs> start with that. To start with it, anyway. so I was like, "Hell yeah, I'm doing it!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At least he he lived a long life. He was 94, and yeah. you said you, you didn't even know he was still alive. So I didn't. No. It's funny when that happens when it's like, "Oh my God, so and so died." <laughs> right. Like, wait, they they were still alive. Right. I've done yeah. that with other people before. You know, as far as I know, he kept like a low profile. He was a songwriter. You know, he he did release some records under his name. He wasn't a great singer or interpreter of his own 
music as far as I know. Um, but yeah, not the kind of guy who the tabloids were following around on a regular basis, you know, just, uh, yeah. just, uh, just a good guy, just a talented man, um, who is no longer with us. And, uh, yeah, it's sad, but also, you know what? He had a long, great life and that's cool. I don't know if it was a great life, but he had a long life. Yeah, yeah I, guess. <laughs> I just don't. I I just don't know much about his personal. I life. just don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I thought I thought you were going to do that. I didn't know that was a Burt Bacharach song until guys, you guys. Burt Bacharach wrote. He wrote the best song on Elephant by the White Stripes. So if that doesn't convince you of his genius, what will? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in other news, the Grammys were a week ago. I watched right. all four hours of it. It was so long. <laughs> but yeah, you know I was uh, I was in the other room stewing the whole yeah, time. Yeah, you refused. I was like, I'm not gonna submit myself to this. <laughs> I'm gonna read a book. Yeah. I hadn't watched the Grammy since I was a kid. Like, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched it. I think what happened was, like, when I was young, I was really into award shows, and I love, like, the MTV Music Awards and the the movie MTV Movie Awards and the Grammys and all that stuff. And then when I was a teenager, like, I really got into music, and then I was just so jaded about that stuff, because I'm like, oh, it's never... They never, like, recognize the music that I like, and it's just stupid it's trashy and i, <laughs> I hate it <laughs> um i'm thinking of like that little kid in uh school of rock who's like you're tacky and i hate you that's how i felt about the grammys i guess <laughs> um anyway i haven't watched it for the longest time but you know i've been listening to more pop music lately and i actually like listen to most of the albums that were nominated for Best Song of the Year and actually like a lot of those albums. So I was like, you know, I'm going to watch it. And I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought, I thought I would still hate it and it'd be cringy, but I actually enjoyed it. I thought the performances were good and uh, it was highly entertaining. And um, I didn't agree with all the awards that were given out, but... You were so upset when bonnie Raitt won song of the year you were like what? that was taylor's award that was taylor's no. what is she doing what is that old lady doing up there <laughs> i was really happy for bonnie you could tell she was shocked she was not expecting that at all and then i had to go listen to her song and i would just like casually put it on the next morning when i was like working and then i just like started crying <laughs> like oh my god this song <laughs> Yeah, really, and then really you told me it. about it, and I listened yeah. to it as I was washing the dishes. And uh, yeah, it got got a little misty in the kitchen. Got I gotta say, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it wasn't just the the water splashing off the dishes, folks. It was... <laughs> <laughs> so, it's an amazing song. She did a great yeah. job. You know, yeah. known mostly as like an interpreter, but um, that's a songwriting award, and uh, clearly deserved it. Yeah. yeah, she even said in her speech, she was like, I don't write songs often. Um, so she said it was very, felt really good to be recognized for her songwriting. So, yeah, that was nice. Um, 
I thought Beyonce should have won album of the year. After yeah, but, all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, once again, shut out by a wanker. Just incredible. You know, I was under the impression that she wins, like, every year. Not every year, but just, like, you know, I mean, she just uh, broke the record for most Grammys of all time. And I feel like there's just always stories about, like, her winning or not winning at the Grammys. And I was under the impression that she just, like, wins all the time. But I didn't realize she's never won album of the year before, which is kind of mind-blowing. She, yeah. like, never, apparently never wins, like, the major awards. That so goes to show that's... you, though, that, you know, the Grammys aren't honoring um, even people who are just considered like the greatest in their moment um they're always yeah. off doing their own weird whimsical shit it's not like the jemmies folks this is like a completely yeah. illegitimate award show um yeah i think it's pretty fucked up i found out that they um they kind of sideline people like they'll they'll put them into categories if they're too urban <laughs> which means if they're black or, you know, a person of color. They'll put them in, like, yeah. the R&B. This, we'll music, best... this music isn't for everybody. It's, we'll kind give them a, best... it's kind of a niche thing, you know? Yeah, we'll give them best rap album or best, you know, best R&B album. Or, like, Bad Bunny won, like, Musica Urbana. Something like that. Yeah, uh, which is a genre invented like, by what? Bad Bunny. <laughs> what is this? Ur- yeah, urban music? Like, what does that even mean? But, uh, yeah. And then they, they just give the big awards to, like, the album of the year just goes to, like, somebody who they think of as as traditional pop. White people. Being white. What? <laughs> That's yeah. fucked up. I yeah, I, it changed my opinion because I was like, "Oh, she always wins." And it's like, no, now, the are actually pretty fucked up. I mean, she has won more Grammys than anybody else in history. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing something, but yeah, yeah I do think when they think of pop, like the pop, image in yeah. their head is of a white singer. Yeah, it's Adele or whatever. Even though, like Adele, you could say is like soul music or whatever adult contemporary or whatever right i mean i mean i mean secretly i think it's just so funny secretly i'm saying it now but it's so funny to me that uh uh, beyonce has not won album of the year i I think it's terrific honestly i mean (laughs) it's like because i mean everything we said is true it's like kind of shitty but yeah um yeah i think it's but she's also also like Considered the queen of the United States. Yeah, yeah. So it's like got a lot going for her. Yeah, it's like it's a hard world. And, you know, award shows are always bullshit. Like, people who are yeah, expecting, like, an are. award show to, like, validate everything. It's like, get out of town, man. That's not yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Occasionally. Like, when Moonlight won uh, Best Picture. I'm yeah, like, barely. Yeah, barely. I like barely. how we've definitely referenced Moonlight before. I think at the Jemmys or something. Oh. Because we accidentally like handed out a Jemmy to um, like Sublime or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, wait, it's actually Spoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I will say like with Renaissance, I, I don't know if any album has ever grown on me so much from like my first listen. Oh, wow. Because I remember when I first listened to that album, I was, like, not into it. I was like, I don't like this. 
I liked the two singles, um, Cuff It and Break My Soul. Like, those ones stood out to me. I didn't know at the time that they were the singles, but, like, those ones stood out. I was like, the good ones. And then, like, the rest of the album was like, I'm not really into it. I'll probably never listen to it again. But it's it's grown on me so much. I really like it now. So I don't know what that's all about. But um, the rhythm yeah. found you. That's all. The, yeah, the rhythm is gonna get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's you know, some music is like that where you have to just you have to get to know the songs before they really get you. I think that's the same thing that's happened to me with um, with Frank Ocean. I right. think he's the kind of artist where, like, when I listen to a song by him the first time, I'm just like, oh, this is all right. But then, like, once I get to know the the melody um, and can, like, come back to it as, like, something I'm familiar with, like, it's, it sounds a lot better. Right. I mean, I think it's it's cool to do it that way. Um, and this is, like, a nice way to segue, I think, into your project your ongoing project to sort of tackle the various canons as uh, outlined in in magazines and stuff yeah. um but like frank ocean is a guy who i think appears on a lot of those lists certainly the pitchfork one blonde is very high yeah blonde is number six right so i've been listening to that uh, and then channel orange is number 14 on their list so this is the right. pitchfork list of the 200 greatest albums of the last 25 years voted on by fans. Right. Um, But I think Frank Ocean is cool because he's not writing songs that are totally immediate. Maybe thinking about you because it has such like a striking hook in it. Yeah. Um, He kind of, there's songs that plant a little seed in you that grows in time. Um, like, and I think those are the like songs that really, fertilizer. yeah, much like fertilizer. <laughs> I'll take bullshit. Um, those are the songs that last, right? I mean, there's a kind of pop hook that is generic and that is cheap. I think it is immediate, but it doesn't have it doesn't have legs. It's not sustaining. Yeah, uh, and I think he comes at it more obliquely and in a more satisfying way because of it. Yeah, I found that sometimes with songs, like, if it's, if the hook gets you immediately, sometimes those songs are, like, burn out really fast for me. Yes, exactly. Like, if I feel like on the first listen by the end of the song, like, oh, I know this, I feel like I really know this song already because it's really hooky. Like, I can only listen to it, like, a few more times and then I'm kind of over it because it's just, like, too simple, you know? Where sometimes it's, like, those, those slow burners, like, it takes a while to get to know the song that it has like more lasting power because it's more complex or more subtle or whatever right i think that's the secret of guided by voices you know um all the heads know i mean they'll have songs like glad girls that are just like boom this is the hook right here you are singing immediately but a lot of their songs just have these very um idiosyncratic chord progressions and melodies you kind of have to locate them you have to find a way in but once you've latched on you'll just go wherever robert pollard leads you yeah um and and they're awesome so (laughs) (laughs) yeah frank ocean is the 
the indie R and B contemporary he, version of Guided by Voices. So. He is, yeah. I, I, it's funny you say that because I kept thinking that too, especially with like I, I'm like very late to the Frank Ocean game. Like I just listened to Channel Orange, like, and got to know it recently. And then I've been listening to Blonde like this week. I've I'd listened to it before, but not really like. I don't know. It didn't really do much for me, and I hadn't really like gotten to know it. But I've been listening to it a lot this week. And Blonde is like very guided by voices. I think where you just have like a lot of ideas thrown at you that uh they almost don't feel like full songs. Like they're just little like snippets of like all these ideas. Fragments. Fragments. Yeah. Although I gotta say. Some of it doesn't work for me with Frank Ocean. Yeah. Um, I I don't know how you feel about it. But I I think I I like Channel Orange more because it just feels more complete to me, like more produced and more like fully realized songs. Whereas Blonde, a lot of it feels like it's not like fully realized. Right. And I I kind of wish like there's. I like the songs that do feel like they're completed. Um, and then, and, uh, and then there's a lot, I, I think it gets worse. Like at the end of the album, yeah. I shouldn't say worse. I mean, that sounds bad, but <laughs> <laughs> when I, when I first listened to it, I was like really into it at the beginning. I was like, Oh, this is great. Like I like this more than Ch- channel orange. And then I think it gets like more arty as it goes along. And like, more fragmented as it goes along and i i like it less yeah well i think um i know channel orange a little better i still need to spend a lot more time with blonde but Mm -hmm. it is kind of that classic dichotomy between you know rocking or melody or whatever you want to call it and vibing or mood or whatever you want to call it we come back to it again and again i feel like channel orange is uh, a melody focused record for all of its kind of uh, ups and downs and little snippety songs. It centers everything on like the strong pop melody. Yeah. Um, whereas Blonde is after something different. It's more hazy, uh, just kind of blurred out uh, and semi ambient in parts. I think that's what people really respond to. Again, like kids love that stuff now. Yeah. Um, but it's harder for me to find a way in. I feel the same way about like Solange's last two records. I think. Yeah. Seat at the table is the melody one. Um, granted, extremely soulful and a creative record, like a one of a kind record. Nevertheless, it is based around these incredible vocal hooks. Whereas when I get home, uh, a little more, um, I don't know, postmodern maybe. More of yeah. like an art project. Uh, uh, what makes it interesting is different from Seat at the Table, and it's not quite as much my bag. Yeah, I I found that like I really respond to music that has like a certain level of um, of like artsiness, of and, like, art, being, yeah, and, yeah, being creative and like being different. But I can only take like so much. Like there's a degree to which I, I I get turned off from it. And I think, um, yeah, like I love, 
a seat at the table and then like when I get home it's just like too too arty for me <laughs> and I, I feel that way about Blonde too like I, I there's yeah. a lot of it I really like and I want to spend more time with it right um, some of the hooks are just so good I could um really Song. go off here on a tangent about like literature and like auto fiction and sort of <laughs> things that are like half <laughs> half written or unfinished. I feel like that's very in vogue in music to just kind of again, this is the God of my voices effect, I guess, to just kind of put something on tape and let it sit there. And it doesn't quite feel it doesn't feel labored over, which is cool, but maybe it doesn't feel complete either. Yeah. I think that's a lot of when I get home, and it's the way I understand Blonde too. Um, again, I don't, I don't want everything to be like super tightened up and and drained of feeling, obviously. Right. But seat at the table, for example, just strikes that balance perfectly. Yeah. Between yeah. soul and just and craft and like working on these songs and getting them just right. I don't think that kind of effort. It doesn't seem like it was put into when I get home. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's certain artists that I feel like I I can never like really be into because they they are too arty for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or the 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 albums. Robin Gristle. The albums that I'm most drawn to by those artists are the ones that are the most like poppy. I guess like I'm thinking of like Fiona Apple, um, Bjork uh oh. that's all i'm really thinking of well another artist i've been listening to lately who i love um but sometimes it's too arty for me is kendrick lamar i've been listening to, to pimp a butterfly yeah um because that's another one that's like listed as one of the greatest albums of all time. Well, that was the one that, like, all the list had in common, which I think is interesting, right? Yeah. Maybe not the NME, but it was in the top 10 on Rolling Stone's all-time album list, and it was in the top 10 on Pitchfork's best of the last 25 years list. I think the NME had it pretty high, too, but I don't um... remember exactly. Yeah, number 19 on Rolling Stone. Yeah. It got pushed out of the five. top ten. Got to push out of the top ten by six Arctic Monkey records in a row. <laughs> uh, number five on the Pitchfork one, and then I don't know where it is in the yeah. anime one. A modern uh, masterpiece, an instant classic, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's I, when it came out. It was like unanimous praise for that record. Yeah, and I think uh, the singles on the album are so good, and I'll, I'll always come back to them. And overall, I, I like that album, but it's another one that's just kind of like too arty for me to ever like really love it. Mm -hmm. I, I I like Damn a lot more because it's just more accessible and poppy. Right. It doesn't have like poetry all over it. <laughs> Goddamn poetry. Gross. <laughs> To Pimper Butterfly, I mean, it's rap as jazz, right? It's yeah. not just him. It's not just him rapping over like a jazz sample. It's right. that idea of like complete creative freedom um, of him just kind of floating through these songs. Like he floats in the video of uh, All Right. 
Yeah, um, so it was such a cool video. It really is. It's a great song. Yeah, and I, I also don't like jazz, so that's it. I think that's part of it. But then there's a song like um, for free. Is that what's called free? Yeah, sticking free. Yeah, yeah. That is just like I mean the the backing track is like is jazz, uh, mm-hmm. like straight up jazz, and I love that song. I think it's so cool. I love how it's like crazy jazz too. It's crazy, not yeah, crazy the genteel coffee shop thing it's like full-on like like avant-garde black freedom like super energetic jazz Um, yeah and then he just does this incredible rap over it yeah and then like that woman just berating him it's like hilarious yeah yeah and then right into king kunta yeah which funk masterpiece yeah 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 god a good wedding that was Good wedding that was. surprisingly loved but like didn't think i would okay what's that um so i've been listening to horses by patty smith oh yeah which is such a classic album and i i like i love that scene of like you know new york like punk and like post-punk and uh for some reason i just had never listened to it before i don't know i guess i was under the impression that i wouldn't like patty smith probably because i thought she would be like too arty for me and just be like too dissonant and weird and too like too new york for me (laughs) um (laughs) and i knew uh i knew gloria (laughs) this record's from new york city (laughs) new New york York city City. (laughs) anyway Sorry, uh, I, 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 sorry. I had to get my pace reference in. Yeah, uh, you were saying you didn't think that, you were gonna no, that like was, it. But, that yeah. was important. Yeah, I knew um Gloria and Redondo Beach, and I love those songs. But I didn't. Oh, hi, Georgie. She's on my lap now. Um, I yeah, I didn't know the rest of the album. I didn't think I would like it all that much. But I fucking loved it. <laughs> it's great, and there is a lot of poetry in it, but um. I guess I I thought it would be like her reciting poetry with just like Congress. very like sparse music behind it. Mm-hmm. But um it really rocks. I mean it's like first and foremost just like a a rock album. Right. Uh and even like Birdland which might be like the most arty song on the album i think is awesome right it's really cool yeah and uh i just love her voice like all the (laughs) it's just so bizarre and she just does like so many different weird ass voices yeah record but uh, it's really cool 
Yeah, I got I got a lot of thoughts on Patty Smith. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, just to sort of continue your point, um people love it because it's it's a rock record, I think. Yeah. I think that the fusion of of art and rock and roll, it feels really organic on it. And I think she's a better rock singer than she is a poet, honestly. I think that's what sells it Hmm. as music. I think, I mean, like, the wordplay is, like, interesting to me. Um, I don't know how well it would read, like, on a page, though. It's all about her delivery. Um, And uh, I just, I love her willingness to be very, to sing ugly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think we, we talked about this on, like, the vocal episode, um, and I think with, with women, especially, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I don't want, I don't know if it's pressure or what, but, um, there's like this idea of like what beautiful singing is and sort of what should, should aspire to or whatever. And, uh, she just throws all that out the window Yeah, and it's just like screaming or like cooing or like rapping or whatever. Um, and it's not like I don't think she's like incapable of uh, of hitting notes of holding a tune. It just doesn't doesn't interest her on horses. I think she's after something a little a little cooler than that. Uh, yeah, she is very cool. Uh, yeah, her her voice a lot of times will just like make me laugh. Mm-hmm. It just does kind of like it's kind of like. <laughs> sings like a teenage boy or like talks like a teenage boy with like a heavy accent and i never know like what the accent is that she's doing but yeah uh, you were so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wish i could like think about like specifically like what made me laugh i think it was like like birdland especially makes me laugh um I wish I could like do an impression right now. Yeah. But I can't I can't think of it. You made the great point the other day that her and her uh fallen song brother Tom Verlaine have like a very similar style of singing. Yeah. They really they did, yeah. I actually like her voice more though than his. Oh, yeah. I think it's just like more creative and um she does a lot more with it, like does yeah. like, different different voices. Whereas like Tom Berlin is more just kind of one note, but I still love his voice too. Right. Yeah, I didn't realize that they were close. And um you had said that she like she made the comment that he was like the male version of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wrote the the elegy so in um, or a eulogy rather in uh the New Yorker. Yeah, yeah, talking about that. Okay. Yeah, and then he's on that album on yep. uh, Break, Break It, it up, up, which I didn't realize, but I, when I first heard that song, I was like, oh, this sounds like it could be a television song. <laughs> like, yeah, because Tom Berlain like, co-wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love, too, how she does like these, these classic rock songs. And you couldn't even call them covers because they're just like, they're um, reimaginations. Yeah, like Gloria by them and uh, Land of a Thousand Dances. Uh huh. 
um yeah clearly somebody who's like you know a, a poet and like an artist but who just loves like classic rock and roll too right and it's not like too cool for that stuff right oh and is interested in like the ideas of it you know like people you can call her pretentious and maybe you're right but i do think some of those early rock songs are really um they're like fertile texts. There's like a lot going on there. And like, like in Gl Gloria, for example, uh, she just takes like that whole idea of like Van Morrison being like, like Irish <laughs> and like just devoutly religious, <laughs> devoutly religious person. And then writing this song that's like very sensual and using the name Gloria, which obviously has these strong religious connotations her just kind of taking all of those undercurrents and like bringing them to the surface and just exploding it and making yeah. the song like even longer and like more epic and more rocking than man's right uh, and for her to just like as a woman to write the song of just yes. like seeing a woman being attracted to her and just be like i'm gonna i'm gonna make her mine i'm gonna claim her yeah. <laughs> like yeah, they're going to ban that song in Florida here in a minute. You know, this 50-year-old uh, rock song. It's going to be like, no, we don't, we don't like that here. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the first line on the album is Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. One of the greats. I mean, is there any cooler album opener? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we could come up with some, but that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that could be that really That really just sets the tone. Yeah. yeah. The whole album, which it's about. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, oh. what have you been listening to lately? Well, hold on. I might be having a nosebleed here. Uh-oh. Oh, God. Such a problem. Okay. Nobody there Except for the birds Around the New England farm And they gathered In all directions Like roses they scattered And they were like Cheeks taken out his neck, all his limbs, everything was twisted. And he said, oh, I won't give up, won't give up, don't let me give up, I won't give up. I think I'm probably good here. Okay. So, um, yeah, honestly, so... like, I, I, I didn't listen to a ton of music the last couple of weeks because, uh, well, I've been, I've been sick and I keep having these nosebleeds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it just it just drained the energy out of me, energy oh, that I would no. normally put toward uh, rock and roll. Oh no! But um, a lot of what I've been listening to is related to uh, Music League, which, for those who don't know, is the world's greatest music app, um, where you build a playlist with other people and then you vote on the songs um, in that playlist that you like best, and they assign points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, one of the groups I have did a, a category about the music of Sweden and uh, it got me down like a rabbit hole of, of Swedish music. And, uh, and it, it helped me to arrive at the understanding that a ton of Swedish music is just like this unbelievable spot on impersonation of uh, American music or British music. Interesting. 
So you're saying they're a wannabe country? I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they're a bunch of uh, rip-off artists. Um, oh. Yeah, that that's all. Yeah. Um, it's it's really impressive, honestly. So there's a band called Tagus, I think, from the '60s, and they have an album called Studio from like 1968, and it it feels like a lost um, like Zombies album or like whacked out Beach Boys record. It has some elements of the Beatles in it too. It's this really incredible psych rock album, um, and you would never know that it. It came from Sweden because, like, their English accents are perfect. Um, it just doesn't feel like original. It just feels like pieces mm. of other things, like combined into one. Um, and then I listened to some of the Swedish punk from the late seventies and early eighties, and uh, same kind of thing. Like, it's difficult for me to access like what makes it Swedish because it just seems like this incredible facsimile of like the sex pistols and the clash and the ramones this is really harsh yeah uh, well i mean sometimes it's you gotta speak the truth truth hurts yeah <laughs> yeah the funny thing is though like as harsh as you're being on sweden they're the best country in continental europe for music because Europe oh, as a no continent doubt. sucks at music. Oh, they they <laughs> suck so much ass. We had so in Music League we had a category of just Europe. Like you couldn't do the UK or Ireland, but just like continental Europe. Pick two songs from Europe that are great. It was slim pickings. Yeah. Hard and to like, find two songs from two the last seventy songs. years that and cut like, the mustard. And like half of the artists I came up with were from, were from Sweden. Mm-hmm. It's like you know this continent of like produce like Beethoven and Bach and Mozart. That's like yep, really uh really took their foot off the gas since the yeah. uh, 18th century or yeah, so. Yeah, they had the Renaissance and they were like, okay, we're we're done creating yeah. good art. I can't help but think, but maybe it maybe if they had like a, a less hostile attitude toward immigrants and uh, people of color, they could improve their uh, cultural output. I mean, certainly that's uh, that's helped for the United States. You know, all the great music mm-hmm. has come from has come from immigrants and black people and and people of color and stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean that's why like I think Great Britain and Ireland like stand out. It's like they have fantastic music because right. they're so inspired by like blues and like rock coming out of the united states and, like, and the, the diaspora and yeah the the caribbean yeah 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 um, you are right though like i mean germany had some kind of legendary 70s art rock groups um and if you're into just like music like france in the 60s has like a little bit yeah um, but Sweden has been remarkably consistent. And and when I was harsh before, I wanted to, to get to this idea that there is, I think, this authentic and original Swedish sound um, that has been, like, enormously influential. And it is, it's the sound of ABBA, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, this, it's this incredibly clean, but not soulless. It feels like uh, an alien with heart. 
Uh, wow. This incredibly clean, not soulless pop dance sound. You see it in like Max Martin as a producer does it too. All like the incredible pop singles that he did. You see it in Robin. You see it in Swedish indie acts like The Knife. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not something to like. I mean, I I make fun of it a little bit, but it's a it's a pretty cool cultural legacy. It goes far beyond what like uh, again uh, Spain, Italy, uh, France, Switzerland, any of these fucking countries have contributed. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Sweden Sweden is really good at pop music. Yeah. Really good at pop. Um Yeah, I mean with, with you know you with you listening to them recently, do you feel like even the the rock bands like have strong pop elements? I do. do you... Okay. So it all I mean I feel like it all has is really poppy. Everything right. I've heard out of Sweden. Right. There's something like very like listener oriented about it, I think. I don't know where that comes from. And, you know, I haven't dug into like Swedish black metal, but even a, a ostensibly punk band like the Hives is got incredible pop instincts. Yeah. Maybe it's just because like there's like social well-being is so good in Sweden. Right. They don't have a lot of like societal outrage <laughs> and they're like they're all just you know pretty living pretty comfortable happy lives so there it comes through in the music just all happy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean some of the best music comes out of like despair yeah yeah like industrial cities like i think about like the rust belt in the united states or yes. like uh you know like Mercy the american Sunday south yeah in in, in england mm-hmm. uh i have heard that norway has some pretty gnarly doom metal oh that yeah I really gotten into but i mean oh I'm yeah by that. i saw this wonderful map of um uh like metal bands per capita throughout continental europe and uh yeah i mean sweden has like one metal band per every like six people or something (laughs) and like norway is not far behind and then like germany and then all the other countries lagging behind as you'd expect um i think it's something about just being uh cold and dark for much of the year or or brilliantly um lit up and just way too bright that'll drive like, you insane too that'll make yeah, you seek I, out the darkness yeah have you seen midsummer yeah <laughs> it's fucked it's fucked <laughs> have you uh been digging in more with your uh your project then yeah it's going along really well yeah um i think i'm up to like for the the Rolling Stone and NME, I'm I'm at like around number like eighteen, nineteen out of five hundred. <laughs> so there's a lot to listen to, but yeah, it feels like it's it's moving along. It's been fun. I can kind of like rattle off what I've been listening to in the last week if you're interested. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to "In Rainbows" by Radiohead. 
uh, Closer by Joy Division, Blonde by Frank Ocean, Loveless my, by My Bloody Valentine, Highway 61 Whoa. Revisited by Bob Dylan, uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back by Public Enemy, and Sapimpa Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. I love this idea of like, <laughs> yeah, in the last week I've been listening to uh... <laughs> <laughs> the greatest albums ever made. <laughs> yeah it's a pretty good week for you yeah it has, it's been good well, i mean a lot, of, a lot of these albums like i i know somewhat or know pretty well but um you know they're good to revisit yeah any anyone like jump out at you or did, did anyone surprise you i guess it, one that surprised me is by how much i like it Mm-hmm. is um it takes a nation of millions to hold us back by yeah cool. that was one that i i got when i was in high school and it was like not in my typical um you know music catalog i was mostly into like indie rock and like classic rock and stuff but for some reason i bought that cd and i remember just feeling like oh this is like this is bad this is subversive they're like I thought it was like really like heavy gangster rap when I bought it because on the cover they're like, you know, they're like in a jail cell and they're symbol. They've got like the little like, um, what do you call it? Like the cross, what's it called? Like in a gun, like the cross. Um, yeah. Their name is Public Enemy. Yeah, their name is Public Enemy. I was like, this is gonna be, this is gonna be like dark and violent and stuff. And then listening to it, I was like, oh, this is just really fun. <laughs> like, uh, it's not, it's like not, vi- like, it's fairly violent. I mean, violent in a, I don't know, in a more oblique way, I guess. Right. Well, it's like, funny how, like, in your face and stuff, but. Public Enemy is, is one of the first rap groups, I think, that was kind of accepted as part of the rock canon. Um, and I think part of it is that, you know, for all their political agitation, it really isn't as like, um, um, like off-putting like maybe to like, yeah. yeah, to like white audiences especially. Yeah, it's very political, but not like, it's not like violent and sexist and, stuff, and homophobic and stuff. Yeah, right, right. At least like that's the impression I get. Right. I mean, what? Pro- Professor Griff was like a notorious anti-Semite. They got into a lot of trouble for that, but but oh. you know nobody thinks about him anymore. So oh. um, yeah, so that was when I listened to like back in high school, and then I just haven't listened to that album in like probably over a decade. And uh, I was like, I wonder if I'll still like this, and I fucking love it. Mm. I think it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, it's There's just really like, um so energetic. Yeah. And it's funny how like that sound seemed so like big and important at like the end of the eighties and the early nineties. Um but no rap sounds like that now. And really like not mm-hmm. a lot sound like it in the nineties either, I think. They just have like this kind of perfect stew of noise of just samples everywhere of like clips from the jb's and stuff of dissonance of just like in your face like rocking beats and then like chuck d's voice is just like the perfect instrument for like dealing with all that chaos 
um, which is like, I don't know, just like kind of clear and authoritative. Um, he's not like this like super gifted rapper. He's not like uh, Kendrick or whoever. Um, but you don't really want him to be. I mean, because like that's not even what the music's about. It's supposed to just sort of be yeah. like upfront in your face. Like this is my statement, you know, love it or hate yeah. it. I don't know. I think he is incredibly talented. I think yeah. like he raps so fast it's hard to like pick everything out. Um but I was just like reading through the lyrics of Bring the Noise. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember why, but I was just blown away by like how much was like packed into that song and like how political it is. Mm-hmm. And I think he's extremely talented. Yeah. I get. I didn't mean to uh, to downplay that either. Yeah. No. You know, I'll I'll downplay Sweden, but not Chuck D. <laughs> I guess I <laughs> think he, he would even admit though that he is not about like. Well, I don't know. I just think there's like a certain kind of technical MC that sort of was like like Nas created it, honestly. That just goes like well beyond what he was doing in terms of just like interior rhyming. And like endless flow, and just like obvious like imp- improvisational ability. Yeah. But maybe I'm like underrating them again. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Flavor Flav was the real talent in that group. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I love Flavor Flav. <laughs> <laughs> Flavor Flav's in everything you eat because everything, everything you eat's eat got, got flavor. He's so funny. They're just such a great combo. Because, like, mm-hmm. Chuck D is just, like, I mean, he there's so much, like, wordplay and, like, it's, like, really fun and stuff. But he's, like, he's also very serious and, and like, political. And, you know, I think, he, like, he takes the, the message really seriously. Mm-hmm. And then Flava Flav just, like, provides all this comic relief. And it's just, like, he just, he's just a funny character. Right. Uh, it's like I, the classic uh, comedy duo. You know, you have your yeah, straight man, straight you have man, your goofball. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Terminator X is just like fantastic DJ. X. Yeah, and the, the Bomb Squad are the uh, the producers who put it together. Who also, I think they did all their records and then did the first couple of Ice Cube solo albums. And then just kind of uh, disappeared, I think. Huh. It is such like a dense uh, sound. That was also back when, you know, it was easier to clear samples. Nobody even thought twice about it until yeah. some fucking asshole in the record industry is like, hey, like, you're stealing our money. <laughs> I think that's yeah part of the reason why I love this album so much is just all the samples are like so creative and um, it's just so funky. Like there's so much like James Brown, like funky <laughs> drummer and um i don't know they just like throw in a lot of unexpected stuff i think it is like a a lot of a lot of rap artists do this but like incorporating like rock songs like yeah she watched channel zero with like yeah yeah with like the slayer riffs and stuff yeah yeah and like the um there's like david bowie good sample and like the i love and bring the noise like how they sample like they loop the sound from get off your ass and jam which is just like just pure noise it's like such a cool start to that song yeah. and then they're just like yeah, we put it in one of our episodes <laughs> we're, yeah. 
we're just gonna like you know loop this sound over and over and over and just make yeah. like this extremely noisy song actually in right. uh this is this album is number 15 in the rolling stone greatest albums of all time and oh, in cool. enemies it's number 17 so like very similar like, placement but i'm curious and if a rap fan should like write the show they should write us a letter i'm curious like how like the hip-hop community feels about it i feel like the the <laughs> this is just the sense i have like rock people are into it more than rap huh. people i think for all the reasons that we're saying, you know, because it is like just f- fun and noisy and based around like funkadelic guitar and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's a, this quote from Chuck D in like the Rolling Stone description where he says, if they're calling my music noise, if they're saying that I'm really getting out of character being a black person in America, then fine. I'm bringing more noise. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's really the theme of the album. It's just like that's the ticket. Yeah. Just yeah. being so in your face and yeah, so loud, and I love it. Yeah, there's um, obviously been like a ton of political rap since then, but I don't know if there's been a political rapper or rap group who's had such like a high profile since then. And it's um, it's fucking cool to think about. <laughs> I mean, I think political rock too is like you you would expect it in our time of uh, in our time of dying to just like see it everywhere, <laughs> like people commenting on just like how shitty and fucked up everything is, but it just doesn't seem to exist in like any genre now. Um, hmm. yeah, but yeah, you, you go back to the Public Enemy records, and it's just like it's right, it's right there, it's staring you in the face. It's what they're about, and it's fucking cool. Yeah, but it's so it's so much fun at the same it's time. So fun, yeah. yeah. Party for your right to fight, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Like, I don't really know the hist the story behind that, but you got like the Beastie Boys song "Fight for Your Right to Party," and then you got "Party for Your Right to Fight" on this album that like actually samples "Fight for Your Right to Party." On. Yeah. the story behind that but um yeah well i think like the bc boys when they came along they became suddenly the biggest rap group in america like bigger than run dmc or ll or any of those people and you know we can uh speculate as to why that might have been um but uh yeah i just think like doing a parody of like their big hit it's probably yeah. just like a, a fun thing for them to do not even out of like disrespect or whatever um no it doesn't seem like it is right there is just something about like the bc boys god love them mca r.i.p but i think there was criticism 
at the time, probably still now, for them kind of taking this genre that was obviously black and and obviously political and sort of doing what like a lot of rock stars did 25 years before them, just like draining it of whatever significance it had like culturally and just making it like dopey. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I, I want to believe like they paid their dues and uh, honored their forebears. And uh, now we can sort of look at, those early BC Boys records, just like part of this continuum of uh, of hip hop music and of and of rock music, and just be like, hell yeah, it's all good. But yeah, I read that. Sorry, not to to continue on this, but I read that David Foster Wallace book, Signifying Rappers, a while ago. Have you heard of that? And it's really, uh, it's not great. Honestly, I feel like he was better on other subjects than he is on rap. And one of the ways that he's like extremely wrong is he's just like constantly insulting the Beastie Boys and calling their music just like an abomination and stuff. It's like, how dare you? How dare you? I know. Yeah. And this was like written after like Paul's Boutique. Like you can't, you know, one of the one of the greatest albums ever made. Yeah. So. Yeah, Dan Foster Wallace wasn't, he wasn't right about everything. He was wrong about a lot of things, especially the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Um, Very wrong. (laughs) Um, Did you have another album you wanted to talk about that you've been uh, digging into? Um, Just real quick, uh, because we'll probably want to wrap this up soon. Yeah. But um, I I did, you know, start off this year on our. Jack and Emily gaze in the future episode saying that I, I wanted to get more into Radiohead. And um, I've been listening to In Rainbows, which is an album, again, I avoided for a long time because I was like, oh, I don't really like Radiohead. Or I like early Radiohead when they like really rocked and then they got more like kind of, I don't know, ambient and uh, electronic and stuff. But In Rainbows fucking rules. <laughs> I'm not sure a lot of people listening are like, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but for somebody who's like, yeah, they're not like not one of my favorite bands. Um, yeah. I swear to God, yeah, I've played that record for you so many times since <laughs> uh, since we've been doing this whole Jack and Emily thing, and. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I feel like every time you're kind of like, nah. oh, I guess I, I guess I changed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Most of it does not sound familiar to me. So I mean, okay. some of it did. A couple songs did, but uh, most of it did not. So I guess when you played it before, it did not sink in. Right. But I don't know. I just I guess I had to be 32 yeah to me (laughs) it's it's a really important one for people i think part of it i mean i relate to this like radiohead made some albums in the 90s but i was too young and dumb to get into them when they came out so i had to learn about them well after the fact i think hail to the thief was the first one i was like fucking there for and i love hail to the thief but in rainbows i think was even more of that for people kind of in our age cohort 
you know, people who were teenagers in their early 20s, Radiohead drops this record kind of out of the blue. They do it in this very um, just different way, right? A, a pioneering way where they just put it up for free online and said, pay for it what you like. Just like proto Bandcamp, essentially. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just sort of meant to to dodge all the record industry bullshit, like leaking the record, etc., um and uh i remember playing smash brothers in college listening to it for the first time and just being (laughs) fucking thrilled just being like yeah Yeah. this is it man this is radiohead has done it again god damn it yeah it it rocks so hard and then like the songs that are like slower just like hauntingly beautiful some people call it their love record do you have you heard this no yeah there's there's a kind of a warmth to a lot of it and a serenity mm-hmm. to it that isn't in certainly not in hill of the thief or, or kid a or amnesia yeah, i can see that i guess that's why why i don't fully love them as much as some people it's because like a lot of the a lot of their sound is kind of cold mm-hmm. um but yeah this one is kind of a warm album stuff like um well house of cards nude all I need. Yeah, that. Um, it just kind of chilled out, man. Yeah. I think it, like it, a lot of the songs really showcase Tom York's voice really well. He's such a versatile singer. Like he, he can go like full on rock mode. Yeah. And then he can just like do that kind of chilling, like beautiful. He brings back. Sounds. He brings back like the Johnny Rotten sneer yeah. in Body Snatchers for the first time in years, right? And yeah, uh, that really excited me because I love yeah. like early, I come in. <laughs> early rock and Radiohead, and yeah. yeah, I was just like, "Whoa!" I was not expecting a song like this. Oh, so good. Oh man. The other day I was watching football, as you will do as an American, and they had a graphic about uh, the all the puzzle pieces coming together for some team. I forget who it was. And they were playing Jigsaw falling into place in the background. I just like sprang up from the sofa. I was like, oh, oh, you know, did the Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio just pointing <laughs> at the TV. Uh, uh, uh. You know, it's always going to be hard for me to talk about Radiohead because uh, I'm not good at remembering song titles if they have nothing to do with the lyrics oh he says if, if you're referring to jigsaw falling into place he definitely says that i'm song. referring to the entire album <laughs> <laughs> I'm, re- I'm referring to every radiohead album actually. yeah i think they're they're a little they're a little better about that on that record they uh they're okay. you know, like yeah. the chorus of 15 step isn't like i'm taking 15 steps but he does say 15 step at one point okay they they've gotten better about it videotape says videotape yeah weird weird fishes says weird fishes <laughs> house of cards he says it several times okay Dude, do you like Reckoner? Yes. Fuck but yeah. I, but again, huh? I, I couldn't tell you how it goes because it 
That's the one. When I hear the, when I hear the song titles, like nothing comes to mind because the lyrics don't match the song title. Let me do it for you. Okay, please. There's just kind of like a the drums fucking around. Phil Selway, awesome at the beginning, and then. Little guitar figure, okay. and then. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was unreal. Really... <laughs> I guess he does say "Reckoner," but it's so drawn yeah. out. I don't yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't call to mind the song because we separate like pebbles on the shore. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that I thought Tom York was doing that. That was good. (laughs) He was. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. That was Georgie, actually. Um, oh. Yeah, I once heard. Uh, I saw a video of uh, Narles Barkley doing a cover of that song. Oh, cool! Silo singing it. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking in rainbows, man. Fucking in rainbows. Fucking in rainbows. Yeah. Yeah. Radiohead. I, like I love. I, I love. Yeah, just making this discovery. Uh, <laughs> this uh, album came out in two thousand seven. Yeah. Well, this new Radiohead is really good. If it still feels like the new one to me. Yeah. It, well, it it feels. Yeah, it feels. It was like a newer sound than like the hot take. Radiohead I listened to. Hot take was the last good one that they did. Oh. oh. Not not a fan of a moon shaped pool. Mm. A moon shaped poop. Wow. <laughs> Hot take for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, are you ready to uh to wrap this up? Yeah, I think I think this was good. <laughs> Our listeners will be the judge of that. Yeah. They'll be like, this was the worst episode. I thought I liked this podcast. <laughs> where these people I don't know talk about music for an hour and a half, but then they insult insulted uh, Sweden, and right, so- We're, we've we probably alienated all of our millions of European listeners. Yeah, yeah. they insulted all of continental Europe. Um, I happen to live in uh, Amsterdam, and I didn't appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> So, I but hey, you know what? Fuck what they think, right? <laughs> sure. Fucking Europeans. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> we will. We will see you next week for my birthday. For Jack's party. birthday. Yeah. Birthday extravaganza. Woo. <laughs> you know. Uh, you know who shares your birthday? Michael Jordan. Well, I didn't mean birthday. I guess I meant birth year. Uh, it takes the nation millions to hold us back. Oh, good point. Yeah, cool. Born in 1988, just like Jack. That's right. Yeah. 
I've, I've been bringing the noise for 35 years, baby. 35 years. <laughs> All right. See you then. Because